Welcome to Anchor Point, where we believe that the next 30 minutes could change your life forever. So join us to consider the greatest message ever heard, the good news of the gospel, as well as sound scriptural teaching for believers, all based on the Word of God, the anchor for our souls. Well, last week we presented a message by a young man by the name of Micah Hackett, who recently passed into the Lord's presence at the young age of 19 after a seven-month struggle with cancer. His topic was a gospel worth preaching, and it presented a convincing case of the tremendous significance of the gospel, its reliability, and its power. Today's message elaborates more on this transforming power, power to transform lives as well as destinies a transformation that arises from the compelling love of Christ for sinners. Micah looks at this transforming power in three aspects. The power to change the sinner's condition before God, to change the sinner's relationship with God, and to change the sinner's position in God's reckoning. In our helpless and hopeless state, this is the power that we don't have, but it is the power that's readily available to us through our Lord Jesus Christ. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, chapter 5 and verse 14 says this, For the love of Christ constrains us, or it compels us, it controls us, because we thus judged, or we have concluded this, that if one person died for all, then we're all dead, or all died, and he died for all, that they which live should not henceforth live unto themselves but unto him which died for them and rose again. Wherefore, henceforth, or from this point on, we do not know any man after the flesh. Yea, though we have known Christ after the flesh, or according to the standards of the flesh, yet now, henceforth, from this point on, we do not know him any more. We do not know him that way any longer. Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things are become new, and all things are from God, or all of these things are from God, who has reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing or crediting or reckoning their trespasses unto them. And he has committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us, or as God did make his appeal to you by us. We pray you, we beg you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. For he has made him, that is Christ, to be sin for us, who knew no sin, that is Christ that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We then, as workers together with him, beseech you also, we plead with you, that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he has said, I have heard you in a time accepted, and in the day of salvation I have succored you, I have helped you. Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now 
is the day of salvation. You have heard enough tonight to give you everlasting life. You have heard of how man in his natural condition is unfit to meet God. And you have also heard that even though man is unfit to meet God, that God has provided a way in Jesus Christ where man by coming to Christ can come to God. That is the beauty of the gospel message. So what I want to consider today with you is this idea of the compelling love of Christ. The love of Christ that so draws me when I understand it that I cannot but pursue him as a result of seeing what that means. And so I want to consider three very simple things with you from the text. I want to consider, first of all, that God changes a person's condition when he is saved. God changes what we are. That is God's desire to go from what we naturally were to being something that God has made. Then we're going to look at, secondly, that God changes our relation. He reconciles us. He changes who we know. And then thirdly, I want to consider with you that God desires to change our position. He desires to justify us so that he might change where we stand. Notice with me in verse number 14 these words. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He was once a person who hated the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything he was and did was for this purpose, that he would exterminate any trace of the name of Jesus Christ because he hated everything that Christ stood for. Here was a man, Jesus Christ, who claimed that he was the Son of God. And Paul thought that this was blasphemy for a man to claim such words. And so he hated Jesus Christ. But there came a point in his life where everything changed. And now we read of him as being a changed man. And he says, now, because I have come to understand the love of Christ, I am compelled to pursue him with everything I am. That is what the gospel does to a person. It takes a person from not pursuing Christ to giving their entire life to understand the beauties of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so what he saw was a vision of something higher than himself. What is he saying here? What is the love of Christ? And we're just going to look at this before we get into the main part of the message. The love of Christ is manifested in this fact, that one died for all. What Paul is saying is simply this, that the entire world, because of Adam, is plunged into death. The entire world is dead before God. And so the fact that Jesus Christ died for all people only confirms the fact that everybody was dead before. If Christ died for all, he had to die for somebody. And so he died for the world. He died for the world because the world was declared to be dead before God. They could not serve him. They could not please him. And so Paul has seen that there is a great substitute. One man died for the world. One man died for the world. What is the goal in verse 15? And he died for all for this cause, that those who live, those who have experienced the life of God and have had that transforming time in their life when they have recognized the love of Christ, that those who live no longer are dead, but they live spiritually, that they would not live for themselves, but that they would live and be caught up by a vision of something higher than themselves for a person who died for them and who rose again on their behalf. Do you know what the gospel does? Is it preaches to you a Savior who died for your sins, and then it tells you that this Savior who died 
lives. He has been raised from the dead. And so God can bring you unto himself. And so you can see that Christ is beautiful and has given himself for your cause. What is the nature of this salvation then? We have seen in one man's experience that there is a change that happens when we understand the love of Christ. There are some of you in this meeting, perhaps, who may wonder, what can I do to be saved? What is it to be saved? So this passage presents three things that very simply tell us what it means to know God, what it means to have the love of Christ compel us and transform everything we are. Because Christ has died, now these things can happen. So first of all, the fact that Christ died for me enables this possibility, that God can change my condition. Salvation is when God changes what I am. And so you see in verse number 16 that Paul says, we at one point knew Christ according to the flesh. What is he saying here? Well, he's saying that there was a time when according to how I was born, according to how I was raised, according to what my sinful nature told me, that's how I thought of Christ. I didn't see him with eyes of love. I saw him with eyes that didn't really understand who he was. So he says there was a time when we knew Christ according to the flesh, according to man's nature. And that just brings us to this very sobering point, that man in himself, apart from God, has absolutely no means of coming to know God. Man in himself is absolutely apart from the living God. Sin separates us from God. So he's saying that according to the flesh, it was insufficient. We really didn't get who God was. We didn't understand who Christ was because we were controlled by sin. I wonder, why do you come to this meeting? Do you come because you think that you can figure out the gospel? Do you come because you think that you can figure out by your own reasoning and by your own religion and by your own logic that you can come to God? The gospel says no. The gospel says no. Everything that we are in ourselves cannot meet the claims of God. So what does God do with people who are totally unable to approach him? What does God do for people who want to come to him? How can they be presented to a holy God? Well, that's where verse number 17 comes in. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, in Christ. Remember hearing that salvation is when we see that everything we need before God is found in Christ. If any man is in Christ, if he finds his identity, his trust in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The gospel does not improve you. The gospel does not improve what you are and what you were born as. The gospel changes you completely. The gospel is meant not to take Micah Hackett and make him something a little bit better. The gospel, my name is Micah, by the way. The gospel takes Micah Hackett and it gives him a completely new identity in Jesus Christ. So that I do not have my old heart, but I have my new heart. So that I do not have an old identity, but I have a new identity. Total transformation. You can find that in Jeremiah 31, where God is speaking to Israel and he desires that their, and, and in Ezekiel as well, that their heart of stone be replaced with a heart of flesh, a heart that beats with vibrant life of love to God, 
That's what God wants to do. He doesn't want to improve what you were. He wants to give you absolutely new life that can be credited only to him. That is what the gospel is. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. It means that old things will have to pass away. If you want to come to God, and if you would like to know God personally, and if you would like your sins forgiven, it must mean that your sins are not only washed away, but that you must yield your life of sin, and you must yield yourself to God. The Lord Jesus said sobering words in Luke chapter 13. He was looking at a people who were destroyed by recent tragedy. And he says to those people, do you think that the people who were crushed by that falling tower, do you think that those people were worse sinners because they suffered such a terrible fate? And Jesus looks at his crowd and he says, no, they weren't worse sinners because they suffered a worse fate. I tell you, except you repent, you shall all likewise perish. And so the gospel reaches at the very heart of everything we are. And it says that if you are willing to know God, the old things must pass away. Are you ready to yield yourself to God? Are you ready to follow Jesus Christ with your life and allow God to transform everything you are? Because that's what the gospel does. But you aren't losing anything because Paul said in another passage that the things I once counted as being gain, the things I once prided myself in, the things I once boasted in, they're refuse. He didn't even look back because he saw greater worth in the person of Jesus Christ. So Paul, from his experience, is saying that the old things are passing away, but what a wonderful, wonderful reality. So the gospel transforms my condition. God wants to change who we are. He wants to change how we view life. He wants to change how we view Christ so that we love him and are drawn to follow him. So secondly, what does God want for us? in the fact that Christ has died. Verse number 18 introduces us to this fact that God wants to change our relationship. He wants to change who we know. The Lord Jesus said in John chapter 17, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life is not simply something that you hope to have. Eternal life is given to you in a moment When you have turned from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God, that is what eternal life is. It happens in a moment of time. It is given to you in a moment of time. So we read in verse number 18, and all of these things are from God. We've seen that the flesh cannot save, but God has acted and he has reconciled us. He's talking about Christians to himself by Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So what is this ministry of reconciliation? Why can we preach that an enemy of God can be turned into a friend of God? Because in verse number 19, we read these words, that God was in Christ. Remember, we saw that a man needs to be in Christ to be saved. Now God is in Christ offering salvation. That God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So reconciliation simply means this, that whereas you were far apart at one point, where two people are at a distance, where two people are enemies, where there is something between two people, reconciliation means they come together. That is what God wants for you. He wants you to know him personally, to come to him and be joined to him 
eternally. How does he do that? How does he do that? A couple questions come to my mind. If God must bring us to himself, if God is going to bring us to himself, he must deal with the problem of sin. How does he do that? That's the problem. So in verse number 19, he gives the solution that God was reconciling the world unto himself, not reckoning their trespasses unto them. The only way, the only way that you can know God is not, is not by trying to live a good life, is not by trying to outweigh your bad deeds with your good deeds. It doesn't work that way. The only way you can know God is if God absolutely erases from your account your sin. The only way you can know God is if there is this radical transaction that happens where God looks at you as if you had never sinned once. What a radical thing. How can God do that? So the means of God forgiving sins is to erase them away completely. How does God do that? He was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself. This does not mean that everyone in the world will be saved, but it means that God's burden and God's heart is to be in this process as long as his grace allows to bring men unto himself. He is in that constant process of bringing men to himself. This is what God is doing today. It's not the career that matters. It's not the politics that matters. God is in the business of making so that men know him. That's the point of life. That's the point of life, so that men may know God. That is what it means when he is reconciling the world unto himself. He is making a deliberate effort to bring sinners. But the sad thing is some won't come. Some will not come. But notice these words. God was in Christ. God was in Christ. What does this mean? It does not simply mean that God was reconciling the world through Christ as if Christ was an agent, as if Christ was simply a channel, but it means that God actually came down to where we were in the person of Jesus Christ, so that if you want to know God, you must come to Christ. The gospel is not a story about how God simply looked on this world and pitied this world and hoped that somebody would save them. No, God himself came to you in the person of Jesus Christ so that you can know him, and so that by coming to Christ, you can come to God. So God wants to bring you to himself. Thirdly, in verse number 20, God wants to change your position. He wants to change where you stand. And this is a legal thing, because this is a courtroom scene, and here you stand as a condemned sinner with no hope before God. What God wants to do is he wants to put you in the position of being absolutely righteous, of being absolutely just and good in his sight. So we read here that the message Paul is preaching, he is, he is preaching on God's behalf because this is God's burden. Be reconciled to God. And he explains the means. For he has made him Jesus Christ. And this is where the cross comes in view. God has made Jesus Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Mysterious words, and yet they're so simple. The Son of God was the perfect man, and the only way sinners like you and me could be saved is if there is a perfect man with no sins of his own who could take the burden of my sin and pay it in full. 
You see, God cannot forget our sins. He cannot simply discard them and ignore them. He must deal with them. So the message of the cross is this staggering reality that on that cross, Jesus Christ, the Son of God who is righteous and who is holy, God looked at his Son as if he was sin and he treated his Son like it. And so on that cross, the full punishment and weight of sin and of sins were laid upon another. And God does that so that we can have something we never deserved. Christ got something he didn't deserve. He was perfect, and yet God put our sin upon him and punished him. And so God wants to do the same kind of transaction tonight. He wants to take you and me. He wants to take you. I've already experienced it myself. And he wants to make it a point in your life where you go from being a sinner to being one that God approves, to being one that is righteous in his sight, because Jesus took your place. That is the message of the gospel. And just as God punished his son after considering him to be sin on our behalf, so when God looks at you as righteous, he lavishes you with blessing and eternal life. He lavishes you with forgiveness of sins, of peace, and of everlasting hope. And so the conclusion of all of this, we have seen that God wants to change everything, not because we have anything to offer him in ourselves, but because Christ has paid the debt. Christ has paid the price of sin. So what does he say? This is your responsibility here. This is your need to respond. It's not simply a message that goes away when you walk out of the doors. No, this message stands and it lives with you until the day you die, asking that you respond to it. So then Paul says, we then as workers together with God, we plead with you also that you receive not the grace of God in vain. For he has said, I have heard you in a time accepted and in the day of salvation, I have helped you. So he says, you don't have tomorrow. Today is the day of salvation. There's a hymn we sing that says, tomorrow is just eternity. That's hidden from your view. 150,000 people die every single day. Do not presume upon the grace of God, but God is offering real salvation. Today, it's a time to come and to receive the grace of God. So we have seen that in Christ, that's everything you need. Your responsibility then is to trust Christ as your Savior and to come to God in none other but the person of Jesus Christ. How wonderful it is to know that God himself is the originator of salvation. As sinners, we are unable, we have no power, to change ourselves. Are you interested in having your life transformed and your destiny settled? The Bible makes it clear that there is nothing in yourself that can affect that change. It is only through the love of Christ and his work on the cross that we receive and live this new life. Our only part is to acknowledge the truth of what God says about us and to respond to his invitation of grace. Though Micah is no longer with us anymore to proclaim the gospel personally, we trust that the recorded words of this young man will convince you that salvation is real and that it's something that you, if you don't know Christ already, desperately need. Receive the grace offered to you through Christ even this very day. Tomorrow may be too late. If this or any of our Bible messages here at Anchor Point has made you aware of God's interest in you, 
or if you'd like some literature or a visit that would help you to understand these important truths, why don't you drop us a line at email at anchorpointradio.com. We'd love to hear from you. We're glad that you were able to join us at Anchor Point today. Anchor Point is sponsored by Christians who are meeting in various gospel halls. Each of these Christian assemblies holds gospel services every Sunday night, as well as regular prayer and Bible studies throughout the week. No collection is ever taken, and the very warm welcome awaits you. And if you've been challenged by today's message, would like to know more about the truth of the gospel, or of gathering under the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, following New Testament principles, please feel free to check out our website at anchorpointradio.com. There you will find more information, as well as the location, programs, and meeting schedules for the Gospel Hall nearest you. Also, feel free to take a look at other literature and audio offers at anchorpointradio.com, where you can also subscribe to our Anchor Point podcast. My name is John Sharp, and thank you once again for listening, and we invite you to join us again next week at the same time for Anchor Point, where we believe that in times like these, you need a Savior. And in times like these, you need an anchor.